Welcome to the Church Collective Podcast. In this episode, we talk to Hope Darst, who wrote that song, Peace Be Still, but also has a fantastic album. We talk to her about the belonging to and just everything that's going on in and through her life. I think you guys will be super encouraged to hear just how faithful God has been in her life. And it's really important for us to realize that God doesn't really operate on our timelines, and God is really in control of everything that's going on in our lives. So Hope just brings a ton of wisdom to talk about being still, to talk about being patient, and to talk about just trusting God and working on our relationship with Him, and that's really all that it's about. So- well, hi! I'm so glad to be here. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> Such an honor to get to chat with you guys today and talk about, you know, a little thing I did this year, an album, um, which is crazy to think any... It's funny, in some ways, like, I feel like everyone's putting out albums because if you know if you're in any kind of in entertainment industry, like everything just shut down. So all we can really do is put out music. Yeah. Um, and yet at the same time, it feels like the craziest thing to do as well, because there's just so much that goes into making a record that no one ever sees behind the scenes. And that's like really challenging to navigate with COVID. And um, I mean, there were literally songs on my record that like my husband and my kids are singing the backgrounds in my kitchen. because. That's awesome. We couldn't, you know, because of because of COVID, so it's crazy. And I'm really grateful. I, this was like a lifelong dream of mine. And twice pre- previously in my life, God had asked me, just you know, as a believer, I at 19 really made a decision. Okay, God, like I'm really gonna live. I'm really gonna follow you. And that means I have to follow you wherever you take me and wherever you lead me. And in my, you know, very young, naive self, I just thought God would lead me everywhere that I wanted him to lead me. Mm. (laughs) He would take me to all the places that I wanted to be. And, you know, anyone who's walked with the Lord long enough, that's typically not how the story goes. And um, twice, like I thought I was going to pursue like making records and trying to sign a record deal. And both times God was just like, no, that's not my plan for you. Like, are you willing to trust me and not pursue that and actually go down this road that I'm asking you to go to that is hidden, that's unseen, that's not known, that's not noticed, that has no visibility and trust that it's going to be the narrow road that's worth, worth, worth walking because he gets to be the thing that I love the most. And Mm. so I did that twice in my life. And the second time was when I was 33 and my husband and I, I had been on staff at a church for like, I don't know, almost just shy of a decade, I think, had been at the church longer, but had been on staff for just shy of a decade, leading worship, running, helping run the music department, serving, all those kinds of things, pastoring people. And I just, I had, I was, I had just had my second daughter. My parents were going through a really difficult divorce. And I've been in ministry for a long time at this point. And I was just running on fumes. Like I was so good at doing ministry. I was so good at doing church life and all of the do's, 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 do's. But what I was failing to recognize is that I was not actually building intimacy with Jesus. And as a result, like I was actually not in a great place mentally, emotionally, like I was struggling with insecurity and fear of man and worry and anger and like just I had unforgiveness in my heart towards my father because of their, like so there was all this stuff that was just kind of like bubbling to the surface and um if you're not in your 30s you're gonna experience this if you are in your 30s or have been in your 30s you're gonna be like yeah I can echo that I think your <laughs> 30s are the years of like God really if you allow him they're the years where like you really dig deep 
and, and character can really be forged out of hardships and sufferings and disappointments and setbacks. And it was such a pivotal moment at 33. And I really kind of had like a little bit of a nervous breakdown. And, you know, my husband was so worried about me. My pastors were worried about me because I just, I was not in a good place. It was really just kind of a crisis of faith. And I'm saying all this because it was in that moment that I just began to cry out to God and was just like, God, whatever it takes, whatever it costs me, I want to follow you and I want to be healthy and I want to be whole in you. And I had no idea the weight of that prayer in that moment because it was prayed from such a pure place, but such desperation too, like an honest, like I recognize like my heart is sick. My mind is sick. My spirit, my soul are sick. I'm not living in like terrible sin. I'm just recognized there is deep um, disappointment and deep issues of the heart that I've not been dealt with. And I just remember the tenderness of God just kind of, in that moment, feeling so tangibly that God just said, Hope, if you will allow me, I want to take you on a journey of freedom, but it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you everything that you hold dear and you value. And what that ended up meaning, like in the natural, is that over the next basically a couple months, I really felt like God said, asked me to, to come off staff at my church. So I stepped down from staff. I was simultaneously traveling the country, leading worship at these huge women's events. I mean, like 10,000, 20,000 people. And I felt like God said, I'm going to close that door. And he did. He closed the door. Mm -hmm. And suddenly I went from, you know, what felt like these really significant visible moments to suddenly this really quiet, simple life of God going, can you believe, can you trust that in this place that I'm going to do a work that is actually going to matter more for the rest of your life than any of that other stuff. What happened was six weeks later, I ended up in a basement with a little Aussie couple named Alex and Henry Seeley. And boy, I, I just remember like from the moment that I resigned my positions in that, like the tours that I, could, I didn't end up going out on that tour, it was about the six, eight week kind of limbo space. And we ended up um, going to this little Bible study in their basement in 2013. I think it was June of 2013, maybe July at the most. And I remember walking in and just weeping, like from the minute I walked in their front door, like I could sense this was a God set up. And I didn't know at that time what that would mean or what that would look like. But what ended up happening is that very night, Alex and Henry really just began to pray over me and my husband and they began to prophesy and I'll never forget Alex looked at me and she said I know I don't know you and this could come across like really intense but she was like I just feel like I'm supposed to say to you you're you're you've been heart sick and the Lord has asked you if you would allow him to basically be a surgeon and remove the sickness and you have surrendered and said yes and she goes and it's going to be a costly journey for you she's like but the fruit that you have borne in your previous seasons will seem as it's a barren land compared to the fruit that will come in the future now you got to understand i'm saying all this because we're sitting in 2020 and we're look like someone from the outside looking in could look at my life and think oh the record deal, the record, peace be still, having such a massive life within the church and now within the radio, that's, that's the fruit. That's the reward. 
but sure. it's not. It's not. That's actually yeah. not the fruit, and that's not the reward. That I can maybe say it's the fruit of some things, but it's not a reward because suddenly I just became this wonderful person, and God's like, "Let me just bless you with." No, it was the fact that over the next seven years of my life. I had to really, really surrender and dig very, very deep in building intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And it was costly. It meant being in a community where I had to expose failure. I had to expose wrong thinking. I got things wrong. I got things like I, I messed up in like relationships. I messed up in, in moments of wanting recognition and titles and positions when that's not what I was, but it took being that rooted in a community and that exposed in a community with people who loved me and were willing to walk it out with me, that God began to really untangle strongholds in my mind and in my heart and really rewire what was the, what was the, maybe the first love of my heart, honestly, because I think for so many years, the first love of my heart had been the dream mm -hmm. it had been the gift. It had been the desire. It had been the hope and the wish and God was like, if that is all that ever stays your first love, there's just going to be no authority to your life. There's going to be no, there's actually going to be nothing that is birthed from your life that anyone else can reap the benefit of. And that actually points them back to me. And it was in that season that I began to write songs with our team that the story kind of goes, I was in the basement for a season with, a, and then as our church began to grow, our worship team began to grow and Henry invited me to be a part of the worship team. And then as the worship team grew, we started to write songs and, you know, I was maybe three, four years into this process of being hidden, being with Jesus, having to really confront like real issues in my life. And I was also seeing the, the fruit of that intimacy with Jesus. I was actually seeing myself grow in areas that had just, I'd not seen growth in for years. I was watching anger start to dissipate. I was watching forgiveness happen. I was watching, um, you know, character and integrity grow within my own life. And I was watching the goodness of God actually happen over and over and over in what I maybe would have in previous seasons felt like, well, this isn't very good. This doesn't feel good. So how is that the goodness of God? Mm. But it was, I was learning the nature of the Lord. And so I started writing songs really just to, just to talk about that journey of faith and what God was doing. And so when we wrote Peace Be Still, because I know that was your, this is a very long intro. Sorry. <laughs> I'm getting this is great stuff. But when we wrote Peace Be Still, we didn't go into a room trying to be songwriters to write successful songs. Sure. We were walking into a room with people who had now navigated three, four years of crushing and pressing in and God doing really deep work in us. And I'm not talking about unbelievers. I'm talking as saved believers who love Jesus, who were willing to go through another pruning process with the father. And as a result, we were writing songs from a place of, in, of our own encounters, of our own revelations, of our own experience with God. And so one of the things that we had learned in those years was to move sometimes the way to see growth is to move in the opposite spirit. So that day, Mia was dealing with disappointment. I was dealing with fear and insecurity, funny enough, about being a songwriter and feeling like I'm not called to do this. Why am I even in this room? How are you going to work through me, God? Like, I, I'm 36 years old. I've, I've barely written, I've maybe written a handful of songs in my whole life. What am I doing here? Like, God was bringing to surface all of this stuff that still needed to be dealt with. 
And I just remember Mia looked at me and she said, well, neither of us feel peace. So what we've learned to do in the last four years is move in the opposite spirit. So we're going to grab a hold of a promise of God and we're actually going to sing it and confess it over ourselves right now until something shifts in the atmosphere or something shifts in the atmosphere of our hearts and minds. That was it. There was like no grandiose plan here. There's no like, you got to understand, I'm not a songwriter at this time. I'm not an artist. I'm not a, none of that exists. This is just three people coming together. Andrew Holt, our worship pastor, he was the other songwriter or co-writer. Us just putting to practice the way we had learned to live our Christian life. And so that I love, thank you for letting me share the backstory. Cause I think so often people can think peace be still was written from the place of like, I'm an artist, I'm a songwriter. I'm like, that's no, this sure. was a song written genuinely. Um, I think because we were willing to show up and put to practice what we had learned to do in our real lives. And I do believe that when songs are written from encounter, and revelation um bill johnson from bethel he says you lock up that encounter within the song and then when it's released you basically offer an invitation for other people to come into that same encounter and into that same revelation with jesus and so that's kind of the long story behind me and the song yeah that's that's fantastic i'd love <laughs> to i mean I, I wrote some questions down as we were unpacking all that i guess one of the first ones would be i appreciate your um I guess, sensitivity to knowing when God would close a door. I think that's probably a, an issue that, that a lot of people have a hard time trying to figure out, but you're so definitive. It's like this age, it got shut here. This one, it got shut here. <laughs> talk, talk a little bit like how, how did you know that so definitively? <laughs> and oh, how, did you, how did you manage to get through that? Yeah. Oh man. I mean, look, I think some of it is the fact that I think from an early age, like God just, I'm very, I'm a feeler. I'm very sensitive. And so I think I've always leaned into trying to be really sensitive and feel what God is speaking. Now, the flip side of that has been many, many, many years of my life. I've been a master to my feelings or slave to my feelings. Feelings have been a master. And that is a very dangerous, unhealthy place to live as creatives because we are not called to be slaves to our feelings. We are only called to be slaves to Christ. And that is a tricky place, right? But what I have learned over the years, and I think what I experienced both those times, and even in the last couple of years, there's something about when the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, and there is weight to what he is saying in your spirit, and it doesn't go away. It, does, it isn't like a fleeting thought, and then you don't think about it again. It stays there. It resurfaces. It's, you can't shake what, what you're feeling deep, deep, deep down in the recesses of your heart. And I think the first two times that God asked, it was that same thing. It was that, that same voice that I remembered calling me to become a follower of Christ. It had that same weightiness. It had that same tangibility. And I, I remember it moved from this. Are you saying this? I don't know if I want to really walk away from that. Is that just me? Is that just you, Lord? To this place where like deep in my knowing, like deep in my heart, I knew if I don't do this, I think this is going to be disobedience. Hmm. Like just this deep sense. And those are moments that you have, you have to make a decision. Like, am I going to obey what I think the Lord is saying to me right now, or am I going to ignore it? And here's what I've learned that it is 
better to obey the thing that you think God is asking you to do and get it wrong because God will auto-correct that than disobey it and put yourself on a path where you start to get really comfortable moving in the opposite direction of what God is speaking. And I think that over the years into going back to talking about intimacy, you know, when you're in a relationship with someone, what defines relationship? Communication. Sure. That's like, I define my friends in layers of intimacy based on how often I'm in relationship with them, how often I'm in communication with them, how often we are talking and expressing life and communicating. That's how you build kind of a tier of knowing who am I the most intimate with? Who am I the next intimate with? Obviously my husband would be the most natural um, relationship of intimacy in this life. And, you know, I love, there's a scripture where Jesus says, you know, these people come that they're knocking at the door and they want in. And Jesus is like, I can't let you in. I don't know who you are. In that scripture, he's not saying, I don't know you at all. He's just saying, you and I, we aren't intimate. We aren't actually the most intimate. I know who you are, but I don't actually know you. And one of the things that I love about intimacy, even in a marriage where there is intimacy in private, there is fruit of that intimacy, which would be our children, right? Mm -hmm. When we are intimate in private, the product of that oftentimes is a child. That's the fruit. And I think when we choose to be intimate with Jesus in private, like in our actual daily lives, um, there's always a fruit that's produced from that and it's tangible and you can see it. And so I think there is something that happens in intimacy. You begin to, you begin to know God's voice you begin to know his voice through the Holy spirit and you begin to trust it. And so then there's a part of you that's like, I would rather, like I said, I'd rather obey and get it wrong. Or I'd rather do what I think is obedience and get it wrong than yeah. disobey and end up on a really wrong path. That's great. So you talked about like your backstory to um, writing Peace Be Still and, you know, starting at the belonging from the beginning. Yeah. What's, what's the backstory to your backstory? Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's not like there's not we're going way back. <laughs> like I mean to be honest with you the first time I ever wrote a song was during the years that I was um on staff at that previous church and it was just one Sunday I I was in a church that while we um very much believed in um, the prophetic and we believed in healing and different things we didn't really express that in the um the expression of our services so it was a little bit more structured and a little bit more contained so especially even in our worship prophetic worship wasn't really a thing within our spontaneous worship wasn't a thing but there was this one um uh like sunday where i just kind of sang this one little little thing and then over the years that kind of turned into a song um, but I could honestly say, but prior to the years, like the last seven years, it was mostly just something that I dreamed about, but not something I was actually putting my feet to the ground to do, if that makes sense. I, you know, I had been a background singer. I'd been a tour manager. I had always been around um, music and, you know, did BGBs on records and different things. But when I look back, I never, I really didn't pursue making music because when I really, when God asked me at 19, that's not the path I have, or sorry, not 19, at 25, um, I really, I really didn't pursue it. Like I went on staff at a church, I um, led worship and served that team and grew a family. And so 
I really, from 25 to 33, I wasn't pursuing music at all, like in an actual professional way. And so I think in 2013, kind of that same year where I had like the, the nurse wearing down and I met the Seelys, I was making a record because I had, like I said, I'd been on, I was touring and I was leading worship at all these different women's events. And it just, it was natural to have a product on the table, right? To sell. And it was funny because even though God asked me to like resign, or I felt like I was supposed to resign from the church and I didn't keep touring. I stepped, I, I was already in this commitment to make this record. And so I saw the record through all the way into eight songs. And then I got to the end of the eight songs and it was that same voice <laughs> that kept popping up in my life. And I couldn't shake again that, that the Lord was going, Hey, like, this is your plan. It's not my plan. And if, if you're willing to like surrender this plan of yours, I, I promise you it's going to make sense in the end why I asked you not to do it. And I, again, I had to make a decision. It was, it was really hard because there's a lot of money and time invested into that record. And um, I ended up shelving it, never released it. I was really, I was really hard, like in the natural, like very practically to walk away from it. But, you know, I wasn't really songwriting. Like I'd only written a few songs for that record, but I really can say that like the journey of maybe honing in the skill sets, it really didn't come until the last seven years. And, and, and just so you know, like that's y'all, if y'all know anything about the music industry, that is so backwards. That is not how this typically rolls out. You know, it's typically someone has been paving the ground and like, doing this thing for 10, 15 years. And then suddenly they see their, you know, their art and their creativity and, you know, their seven, 10 EPs, independent records. It, you know, I, it's just not been my story. And it, it's really been a story of like following a really narrow road with the Lord and it ending up leading me to a place where God, God has done things that I dreamed of, but not in the manner, which, which I thought they would happen. And also in the timing that when it did happen now, I'm so grateful it did, it, it's happened in the order in the season that it is because now I can sit here and tell you with 100% honesty that all I'm concerned about is Jesus being seen and Jesus being glorified and Jesus being told, talked about where if this had happened at 25, I think even if it happened at 33, I think I would have still really wanted to be the star of the show. I would have wanted to be seen and noticed and glorified. And that somehow, you know, fed my ego and made me feel like, oh, see, I'm a good, I'm a good Christian. I'm a good girl. Like this is God's blessing me because I've done all the right things that have led to this. And instead it's been this deep, deep journey of learning like, wow, my significance doesn't, it doesn't come from this like at all. And now that I get to do it, I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like I get to actually just talk about Jesus and tell about Jesus and make sure that when I show up everywhere that I go and the songs that I write, the conversations that I'm having, like he gets to be the star of the show. And, you know, I think that it's worth it that my journey looks different if that's where it, if that's where it ends, if that's, if that's where it's landed me, then, you know, I don't know if that answered your question <laughs> now that I think about it. Growing up, like, how did you get into music? Like, I see a piano and a guitar in the background. Oh, yeah. I don't play either of those. <laughs> how did you get into, like, leading worship? Okay. So, the true, true story, my mom's husband, um, she was pregnant with me. She prayed 
just about every night that mm. I would be, a, I would sing, that I would sing wow. for the Lord. She didn't know what I was. She didn't know if I was a girl or boy, nothing. She had me, you know, an 80, but they weren't really doing, you know, gender reveals at that <laughs> point. Um, and so she prayed that. And she said, I mean, by the time I was three years old, she says, you sang more than you talked. And she said, by five, they were like, whoa, she doesn't just kind of sing. Like she knows every word to every song. She's on pitch for everything. Like they knew very early, like, oh, this is, this is a talent. And you know, I mean, I just kind of cultivated it in the church. Like I was always singing in church. My high school had a huge music department. That's where I kind of like got what sang in the choir and musical theater and all those kinds of things. Um, and then, you know, I always thought I'll just pursue being a pop star. I, I had like no desire or context even to go down the road of worship music. Cause you got to think back in 88, 90, right. I'm like, that's not what the picture was. Like Darlene sure. Check was maybe the only female and that wasn't even until like what like 92 93 that was doing what we now would consider more modern worship um that's the way that we see it in a lot of churches that just didn't exist so I didn't have any context for that when I thought about singers I thought about Mariah Carey and Celine Dion and um I don't know like just different big icons of that generation and that's what I was headed towards. That's what I thought. I thought I'll go. I mean, I auditioned for American Idol. I was like always entering into these like singing competitions. And I just honestly, very naively thought someone's going to hear me sing and they're going to sign me and I'm going to become famous and huge and massive. And thank God I did not. <laughs> I would have been terrible. I would have just, you would have made me a terrible human. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I didn't start I mean, I always sang within the church, like just as someone who served in the church. Do you know what I mean? Like I literally saw serving on the worship team or in the choir at my church, the same as like the person serving in the children's ministry. Like I didn't, I didn't see it as this like stepping stone to something because it wasn't a stepping stone to me that didn't step into the pop world. So there was that, there was not a like connection point for me. And it wasn't until I was 25 when I was like getting ready to go gung ho, like I'm gonna pursue this artist thing. Like I'm, I'd been on the road, I was a tour manager and a background singer for Natalie Grant, who's also one of my dearest friends. I love her. And mm. um, she goes to our church and leads worship as well. And I was, I was coming off the road, I was newly married and I thought, oh, now's the time. Like I'm married, my husband has a really great job. We're not as like financially strapped. So I can take some time and like really pursue this. And I think in my mind, I just thought I'll make a demo. I'll shop it around town. Eventually some record label will pick me up and they'll sign me. That's literally what I thought. And simultaneously the Lord starts to like knock at my heart and go, hey, remember when you were 19 and you said, I'll follow you no matter what. And I'll go wherever you lead, Lord. He's like, I'm not leading you down that path to become a recording artist. So, and that's when I got about a year later, I felt like long story short, several doors off um, like opened for me to come on staff at some different churches around the country that just would reach out and like, Hey, have you ever thought about going on staff as a worship leader or what are that? And I was like, no. And then eventually my own home church here in Nashville, they approached me and said, Hey, we would love to bring you on staff, um, running the administration for the department, leading worship every week, pastoring younger people coming up. That's how I got called into it. It wasn't you know, it has been such a kind of windy road. It's really just been me consistently going, okay, God, where are you leading me next? Like, 
because, you know, the man may plan, you know, we have plans in our own heart, but the Lord really does direct our footsteps if we allow him. So that's kind of been my story along the way. So when, when you graduated high school, yeah. what, about, what happened what in that between graduating high school and, and getting the gig um, with Natalie? Okay, so I went to college at LSU. I grew up in Kentucky, but then my family moved to Louisiana the year I was a senior in high school because my mom's from Louisiana. My dad's from Kentucky. When they got married, they chose to raise us in Kentucky. So my parents moved to Louisiana the summer before my senior year in high school. I stay in Kentucky, with, live with my best friend, finish high school. Then I move to um, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And I think I'm just there for the summer because in my heart, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go to Belmont in Nashville, um, which is like a, a contemporary music school here. And um, long story short, I applied for um, financial aid and scholarship and it fell through and I didn't get it. And so literally three weeks before school was supposed to start, I had to make a decision what I was going to do. And I decided to enroll in LSU because my parents qualified for in-state tuition and they knew it wouldn't be very expensive. So I went school there and I really wasn't serving the Lord at this time like I was I was saved like if you want to go on the technical I was saved had prayed the prayer I believed God was real but I was not living my life as a disciple at all like I was a bit of a wreck of a human like just in a really unhealthy relationship I had an eating disorder I was just super insecure and just not just not in a healthy place I'm very depressed um, struggled, struggled definitely with like pretty severe depression during that season. And, um, uh, long story short, I was three semesters into college. My boyfriend and I had gotten engaged and then he called off the engagement and it just rocked my world. It turned me upside down because if you put your trust in your identity into anything other than Christ, and that thing ends up imploding or falling apart, well, then you in an essence fall apart because you've built your whole life on that. And that's what ended up happening. And I ended up moving to Nashville for a summer to live with a family who were just beautiful, beautiful believers. And I just knew, I, I was like, I was just trying to escape, honestly, like trying to get out of where I was and ended up moving here for the summer. And it was that summer that I was 19 and I was at a church service and this guy preached this message. And I literally, it, it wrecked me in the right way. Like I was a wreck and then I got wrecked in the, in the right way by Jesus. And that's when I prayed that prayer. I was like, okay, I'm all in. Like you have my whole heart, my whole life, everything that I am. And then from 19 to 25, I ended up moving to Nashville and I just worked really random jobs. Like, I, okay, I was a court subpoena delivery girl, like literally delivered subpoenas to people, which by the way, not a super safe job. <laughs> It's just don't send a 20 year old girl delivering subpoenas to people. Not a good idea. I do think the law firm that I worked for afterwards, like quickly realized like, that's probably not the safest. Cause I mean, people will legit pull guns on you, like get off my property. It, it gets really crazy fast. So, okay. That was a job. I was a nanny for Point of Grace. Do y'all remember them? They were Christian artists. I was, I was a nanny for Denise's kids for a season. I was a nanny for Alan Jackson, the country artist, his finance, like his like finance lady. I don't know what you call it. Accountant? Accountant. I think that's right. I was a nanny for her. 
Um, what else did I do? I worked at the Opryland Mills Hotel and I was a banquet server and I was terrible. I literally couldn't hold the tray with, like you're supposed to hold the tray with one hand. Anyone who's ever worked in service, it's like, I think it's like this. And I couldn't do it. I always had to use my other hand. And I just remember my boss was always like, you're terrible. Learn how to use one hand. And I was like, I can't, I have weak hands. I don't know what to do. I didn't last long. It was just terrible at that job. And then I had a friend who just had mercy on me. And I think she just was like, man, you are struggling. You're all over the place. I was a college dropout. I didn't have any skill set other than like, I can sing and I'm, a, I'm like, I'm a hard worker. Like I'll, whatever you ask me to do, I'll do it with my whole heart. And she worked at the Gospel Music Association who like did the Dev Awards and like all these different things. And so I ended up going, they ended up hiring me. I don't know why. I was literally unqualified. <laughs> I had no business taking on that job. And I became like their talent coordinator. Like I helped get all the talents, like the artists that would be um, like coming in to perform for the Dev Awards or I don't know, just different events that they put on. And it was through that job. And here's what's cool. I, like I said, I was always serving at my church, right? Like, so always just serving in the worship department or the choir or the college worship band or whatever. Like I just, that's where I would just serve. And because I was doing that, there was a girl that was going to my church. I didn't know this at the time who worked for Natalie Grant's management team. And Natalie was looking for a background singer. And she just was like in passing one day to her management team. She's like, I don't know who to hire. I just need a background singer. And the girl that had, was attending my church goes, well, there's this girl at my church who sings. I have no idea who she is. I have no idea what she's even doing with her life, but we should call her. <laughs> and they did. And they were like, Hey, do you have a demo that you can send us? And I was like, uh, no, <laughs> I was like, I don't have a demo. What are you talking about? And I remember calling like the sound guy at my church. His name's Garrett Hesla. And he literally like dug through all the archives of me leading worship live and literally like found a song that was like decent enough, put it on, I think it would have been a CD. Yeah. He put it on a CD and I sent that to him. And I remember being so embarrassed being like, oh my gosh, I, I call myself a singer what am I doing? Like, you know, I'm just kind of floating because I don't really, you know, and at this time I still think being an artist is on the table, like that that's what I'm supposed to be pursuing, but I'm not really pursuing it. Like it's kind of an interesting, like it's what I wanted to do, but I'm, like I said, I'm not like boots to the ground, like really trying to make it happen. And long story short, I, they ended up hiring me because I was the only one who sent in a demo that was live. And she was like, well, if you can sing live, then I know that you'll be able to do this as a background singer. Cause everyone else was just sending and recorded stuff. And she was like, but what I need from a background singer is someone who I know who has a good pitch live and who has like that kind of thing. And so what's funny, what I saw is like a really humble, embarrassing, I'm not qualified. I'm not like put together enough into that being the thing that actually God used to get me the job. And if anyone's listening, like, I think there's a lot packed into that, like just being really faithful to serve where you are, um, literally made room like for me to end up in something that I ended up loving. And I loved touring with Natalie. Like it was one of the greatest seasons of my life. I did it for just shy of three years, but because I was doing that, I was learning so much, right? You just learn so much about the industry and I'm singing for her and that opened up other doors to like sing backgrounds for different people and on records. And I think in my mind, I just thought, oh, that's, I'm now 
really close to this happening, <laughs> which in reality, I wasn't. That's so funny to like think about. It's amazing how you can trick yourself into thinking, you know, oh, it's getting ready to happen. It's like, I know it's going to happen, but that was not, that was not how it played out. So that, does that help? That was a little bit more. Awesome. That's my a, yeah. journey and you got, you got all the nitty gritty stuff. This is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that are maybe about to graduate high school. Yeah. Like, I know I want to do this worship thing, but they haven't yeah. what, what it looks like in between that. You know? Oh gosh. I think go work, go get a job. Yeah. <laughs> like literally go get a job and go serve somewhere. Like one of the things that I would tell people is there is no opportunity that is too small. Like I remember there were years that people would ask me to come sing at their weddings or different things or come sing on records or in the studio for free. And I always said yes. And I had a lot of friends that would not say yes to that because they were like, oh, they should pay me for my time or going and leading worship for the kids department. Uh, like that's like, that's not significant. That's not important. Like, I don't want to really do that. And I think that that makes the difference between who can grow into being a leader and who can actually carry something to give to other people versus someone who's only interested in themselves and what they're going to gain from that situation. You know, the thing that I love about stories like David is David was anointed king, an appointed king, years and years and years and years and years before he ever was actually king. And there's this time frame where he lives in the palace for about five years, just learning the culture of the kingdom because he, he didn't know it, right? Like he was a shepherd. Like a shepherd doesn't know what a king does or the courts of the king or any of that kind of stuff. And I think, could you imagine like if David had just been like, no, nah, like I'm not, I'm not going to go serve in the kingdom. Like I'm the king, like I'm next in line. So I'm, I'm going to be over here and I'm going to do nothing until it's time for me to step into the line of kingship. That makes no sense. And that, that creates immaturity and immaturity can create bad leadership that leads to damage, collateral damage in other people's lives. And so I would just say, if you are coming out of high school or even college, just go get a job and serve somewhere and allow God to allow those things to develop character in you and maturity and leadership because you can be anointed and have no authority. What we want, what God wants is a generation who is anointed and has authority and authority is mature. It only like maturity is the only thing that really develops authority over time. And that's just not something that happens overnight. Like that actually takes a season and just know that like what matters is what you're doing in the hidden place that no one sees. God is watching that. God is not watching your highlight reel. God is not watching all the moments of success. He sees those moments, but what he's watching is what are you doing in private? What are you doing when no one's looking? What are you doing when it has no status? It's not glittery. It's not glorified. It's not shiny. It's like, what are you doing in the hidden place when no, when, when no one actually sees? What are you doing when you gossip? 
are you dealing with it? Are you repenting? Are you actually going to the person and saying, I'm sorry? What are you doing when you don't submit to authority? Do you go back and you say, you know, I was in the wrong. I should have done that. Like, where are you allowing God to develop character? Because man, we, we don't need another generation that's just gifted and talented. That doesn't change anything. But authority actually gets into a room and it sets captives free and it breaks strongholds and it heals the sick and it opens the eyes of the blind and it points people to Jesus. A gift, if that's all you have to offer at the end of the day, like that's not going to do anything for someone else's life. And it's taken me 20 years to, to walk that out. That was not a cheap, authorities are just not cheap. It, it's really expensive. It's really costly and it takes time. And so God's not forgotten you and he doesn't not see you and what he has spoken to your life over you, or it's been repeated in prophecies or dreams or whatever, just because you don't see that happening right now, doesn't mean that God's not going to fulfill it. God didn't fulfill things that I heard in my heart when I was 12 years old and 19 years old. And I'm not, and I didn't see some of that stuff happen for 20 years. But just so you know, the record to me is not God fulfilling those promises. Because um, I, I ended up having to wrestle down that, that, that thought process of, mm. okay, if I'm going to spend, because I had this moment where I realized I've been saying yes to God, almost like a bank account and hoping that enough of my yeses deposited in would eventually mean that I then get to pull from that bank account when I want God to say yes to something I want, which AKA entitlement. Um, and I remember God having like, really, I was in Africa in, I think it was like 2017. I'm standing in Africa and I'm on this stage. I'm, I'm just a background, like just leading worship with a huge team and someone else is like the main worship leader. And I'm, <clears throat> we're singing, I surrender all to a million people, half, half a million people, half a million people. You, I mean, I've, I've never experienced anything like it. It was unbelievable. And I went back to my hotel room that night and I began to weep and weep and weep and weep because I started to remember every word that God had spoken over my life. You will sing to the nations. You will go to the nations. You will have a voice in the nations. You will, your voice will break strongholds over country, like over and over and over. This had been spoken over my life, but because from a young age, my paradigm was that I was going to be a pop star. I'm, I decided and partnered with this belief system. Well, then that's how God fulfills that word. And here I am, God's taken me through this massive journey. I'm learning to like really get my identity rooted in Christ, really in Christ and not titles and not my gifts and not my talents. And I'm standing there in 2017 and I'm in my hotel and I begin to weep. I remember getting on the floor and weeping and weeping and weeping and weeping and realizing God had fulfilled every single one of those words. I was standing in another country singing songs over people who were getting set free and I wasn't famous. I wasn't known. I wasn't some recording artist. I wasn't, this had nothing to do with me. And it was a massive moment for me because I realized I was like, okay, I'm good. You don't, you don't have to do anything else. You've already fulfilled your word. You've already made good on your promise. And that got deep, deep, deep into my spirit, almost to the point that when I felt like God started to ask me to step back into music, 
and make music, I really wrestled with it. Like I was like, mm, I don't think I want to do that. Cause that meant to me a little bit of like, Ooh, this is still an Achilles heel. Ooh, I still want this. And that's what we've been wrestling down for, you know, seven years. So if I, if I say yes to this, then I think that that means I still haven't conquered this area of my life. But my husband had something really profound to say to me one night and he just looked at me and he said, I think the same obedience that it took for you to walk away twice is going to be the same obedience that it takes for you to walk into it in this season. And it really has been. It has taken a level of obedience for me to walk into this because making a record and putting out music, that just sounds like it's just fun and shiny and wonderful and all those kind of things. And it is, it's wonderful. And I'm so grateful for it, but it is a, it's a, it's a tight rope. It's a, it's a really interesting road to walk out because doing this puts you in a very visible position and it, it easily can become people's identity. It easily can become people's God. It easily can become an idol. It can like, it can trip you up really fast and to step into it in this season, like it took me about a year and a half to really wrestle through with my, my pastors and my husband and myself, like, can I do this and keep Jesus in the forefront? Can I do this and make him the star? Or am I going to end up just getting swallowed up in the same trappings that anyone is susceptible to when you are, when you're going into something that kind of highlights you, do you know what I mean? Like can make, can make it all about you. And um, it's been, it's been like a real, um, journey for me to have to go, okay, I'm, I'm really, am doing this just to make Jesus known, which is the whole record, the whole record, every single song on it is my journey with the Lord encounters with the Lord revelations with the Lord and the struggles that I've had to like walk through like songs, like <clears throat> don't let go. That was literally me singing to my own heart. Like, don't let go. Like, you're going to have to hang on here and trust God in these seasons where you don't know what he's doing and you don't understand it. Or songs like Start Over, where I was dealing with this a really, really difficult season of anxiety, like crippling anxiety, and was ashamed and embarrassed that I was still dealing with this issue that I've, I've had so much freedom in, and yet it had circled back. And yet... God did so much healing in my heart in that season. Um, and just knowing like, I wanted to have a song that spoke to people. Like, it doesn't matter how long you've walked with the Lord. Like if you find yourself in a season where maybe weakness and struggle is being exposed, sins being exposed, like all you have to do is actually let go and allow God to step into that moment. And you can start over like that. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is endless. There is no limit on the second chances that we get with Jesus love like that. Like I could go on and on and on. And I didn't make a record. I didn't go into making this record so that you would fall in love with me as a songwriter. And as a singer, I made this record so you would fall in love with Jesus. And that when you would hear these songs, the same encounters, the same things that I had to walk through to bird these songs, would be released in your home and in your heart and in your car and in your wherever you are. And it, it would actually arrest something in your spirit that would drive you to want to know this Jesus more and to trust him again, you know, for someone who's going, is this faith even real? Or is this God even real? Is it even worth it? Like that something in these songs carry the weight and the conviction of someone who's had to fight to walk this journey out with the Lord. And 
that you would feel the weightiness of that. And it wouldn't feel like cheap songs. It wouldn't feel like just, you know, oh, that's just a nice little song here and there. But that hopefully when people hear the record, they're like, man, I think she walked through some stuff to write these songs. Like, and yet all like not a record also that's just like a bleeding heart that never leads you to redemption. Like it actually, like I bled my life out in this record, hoping that it would just ultimately make you want to know Jesus more because that's, that's been my rescue every single time. That's been my hope every single time is that Jesus has met me in the hardest places and disappointment and heartache and failure. And he's done such beautiful works in my life out of those moments. And hopefully that's reflected in the whole record. Man, that's probably good a place as any to kind of wrap the thing. That's just <laughs> heavy duty. Yeah. Man. <laughs> You, you got some wisdom. I mean, I'm sure people will tell you that a bunch. Well, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, I'm, I'm 39. I think Chris, well, Chris, what are you like 47 or something like that? <laughs> wow. I'm 39. I turned 40 in December. <laughs> you know, I was telling someone the other day, I said, I was like, I'm old. And they're like, no, you're not. And it's like, I'm turning 40. And they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I would hope, I would hope that if in this season of life, God's like, hey, I'm going to highlight some things in your life in the season. I would hope I have something to say. Sure. Yeah. I hope that I can tell you I've done this now for 20 plus years and it's worth it. It is a lo I love Eugene Peterson's book, the long road of obedience. Mm. Like it is, it's a long road of obedience. And if you, if you bail out midway, you will not see the stories of David and the story of Joshua and the story of Abraham be fulfilled in your own life. And I think that's the enemy is constantly coming after us. Like, please just give out in the, the third inning, please give out in the middle of the book, please give out before you actually see your whole life in totality. Yeah. And I mean, Abraham had to wait a hundred years. Yeah. years. Oh my gosh. And we're like, one season of disappointment. I'm out. God's right. not good. This isn't going to be what he said it was going to be. And I just, you know, I can just tell you of doing this for a long time with the Lord, it's worth it. And the longer you walk with him and the more willing you are to surrender and in obedience to his word and his spirit, you will find a life that is so worth living. It's costly. This is not a cheap life. I cannot express that. If this life doesn't cost you something, the Christian walk, then it's not a Christian. It's not the Christian life hmm. because it's meant to reflect the life of Jesus and it cost him his life itself. Yeah. And it has to cost you. It, ha it has, there has to be places of sacrifice and death and surrender in order for it to look like Christ. But man, just like Christ in his death, there was new life. And there was resurrection. Every place that I've been willing to die, Christ has come alive in me. Something that needed to die, died. And something that needed to come to life has in, in, in my journey. And I just won't ever stop talking about it. I won't yeah. ever stop writing about it. Because right. it's been the greatest, craziest, messiest, you know, like mister, mysterious journey. But dang, it's a good it's a good road to be on. Yeah, man.
Thanks for being a part of this episode. Make sure to head over to Instagram and shoot us a DM. We love chatting with people over there. We would love to connect with you on that. So head on over, hit a DM. It'll be myself or Chris, and we'll say hey back. And yeah, can't wait to chat with you over there.